Hey, everybody. It is Monday, December 12th, 12-12-22. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, this is probably the last productive week of the year. Uh, next week is like sort of going into Christmas. And then the week after that is between Christmas and New Year. So th- if you're trying to accomplish anything at work this week, I think some people will be doing a couple things, right? You're totally right, Mosh, except in the news business, which I feel like there's right. always crazy news this time of year. I remember I was working, um, I was working on the foreign desk for NBC News. I think it was... 2004, the mm-hmm. day after Christmas, when I was totally new, right? They they had me working because no one else would work. Yeah. Um, the tsunami the, in Banda yes. Aceh, if you remember. Yes. I. By the way, I just Googled that. You got, that's exactly right. December 26, 2004. Um, that was the date. Yes. I will never forget. I, I walked into work. I think it was like 3 a.m. I was taking over from uh, the overnight editor and he's like, there was this tidal wave in Southeast Asia. Just keep an eye on it. And I'm like, hmm, okay. And it turned into probably one of the biggest news stories and and one of the biggest tragedies in the 2000s. Yeah, it's um, it's always for Christmas staffing. It's always like bare bones, right? Because nobody wants to work on Christmas. There's always a handful. Uh, usually, I always try to volunteer just as a Jew. I'm like, you know, I feel like I owe it to my colleagues to work on Christmas Day because like. I don't celebrate the holiday. And we are always just fingers crossed because you're like, there's three people in the world working right now. <laughs> so like, can can the world just be quiet for the day, please? Can we just cover like the Pope's big address and like Christmas in Bethlehem? And like, those are the things you cover on Christmas, right? I'm the same way, Moshe. I would always volunteer to work um, that week of Christmas because I don't celebrate it. And you just kind of hope it's going to be like this quiet, mellow week. Sometimes it is, but unfortunately, sometimes it's not. All right, here's hope for Christmas 2023. Let's let's have a quiet rest of the year, folks. Okay, here's what we are working on today. The latest on Brittany Griner's condition after landing back in the United States, what the Russian arms dealer is saying, and why the family of the former Marine left behind in this swap is now attacking former President Trump. Authorities are still trying to find the cause of the growing oil spill in Kansas. What's next for NASA's mission to put humans back on the moon after a capsule splashed down in the Pacific on Sunday? The mysterious death of an American soccer journalist at the World Cup? And Taylor Swift takes on another art form. Mosh, what can't she do? She's halfway to the EGOT right now, Jill. We'll tell you what's next. Okay, we're learning much more about Victor Boots and Brittany Griner following last week's prisoner trade. The WNBA star who landed back in the United States on Friday is currently at an Army medical facility in San Antonio where she's undergoing a freed prisoner reintegration program. Officials say she's expected to undergo extensive health evaluations and be screened for things like anemia, electrolyte imbalances, infections, and any injuries sustained while in Russian custody. Meanwhile, if you saw that video of the actual prisoner swap in Abu Dhabi, which I believe you posted on your Instagram account, Mosh, um, you may have been wondering what, if anything, Victor Boot, who's that notorious Russian arms dealer who was traded for Griner, said to her as they briefly passed each other on the tarmac, Well, Boot told Russian state TV, quote, I wished her good luck. She even extended her hand. Our tradition is to wish everyone good luck and happiness. Asked if Griner engaged with him during that high level exchange. He said, yes, she did. And I felt she was very positive towards me. 
I mean, that was like one second. I mean, unless there was more going on. I mean, wasn't it literally like they they glanced at each other? Yeah, I mean, take it for what it's worth. It's boot on Russian state television, but this is what he claims. Uh, No audio feed is available. The video that was put out was by Russian authorities. Um, But it is pretty remarkable, like strange bedfellows, right? Like convicted arms dealer meets WNBA star on the tarmac and they exchange words like, Okay, like, you know, good luck to you. Good luck to you, I guess. It's the type of thing, Mosh, where I can't wait to see who winds up playing them in whatever movie eventually gets made about this, you know, and and how they dramatize the whole thing. And if they're going to add that line that Boot said, it's it's, it's like made for a movie or TV. Oh, a thousand percent. I imagine they're in a a race at Netflix, Hulu uh, and HBO Max right now to see... uh, who lends the rights to this and, and who develops it first. A couple other details, Jill, that struck me over the weekend. Uh, the special presidential envoy for hostage affairs who flew home with Griner. Uh, his name is Roger Castens. He's actually the top hostage negotiator for the U.S. Uh, did a couple interviews, including with the AP, about his interactions with Griner on the flight back home. And what Castens was saying was that Griner didn't want to spend any time alone as she boarded the jet. He says she recounted, quote, I've been in prison for 10 months now listening to Russian. I want to talk to everybody. And so he added that she moved right past him on the flight and went and spoke to every member of the crew on that flight home, saying, you know, she was engaged in conversation for about 12 of the 18 hours of that flight home. That's incredible. I, I was tr- I, I was trying to think what I would be doing. I feel like I probably would want to be alone. <laughs> I don't know. Or it's, like just like a good sleep after yeah, like, like 10 months in Russian prison. I'm curious. Catch up Jill, on White Lotus or something. You only hear that there is a show called White Lotus, right? Like she's like, okay, what if I miss for the 10 months? Like what's happened in the world? It will be interesting to see what how long she spends at this prisoner reintegration facility in San Antonio. Right now, they have not set a, a time frame for how long she'll be there or when she'll get out. One other interesting thing, Jill, you were mentioning the boot interview uh, with Russian television. He was also asked about politics uh, and Putin. And no surprise, uh, he was very supportive of Vladimir Putin and actually said that he supports uh, the Russian invasion and war in Ukraine. He feels that Russia should have act, acted sooner. And he says that if he had the opportunity and necessary skills, he would volunteer to fight on behalf of Russia in the war in Ukraine. So it'll be very interesting to see how uh, the Russians and the Russian authorities now use him as a propaganda tool. And then obviously, given his uh, background as an arms dealer, how they're able to utilize him. Because what was clear here is that the Russians were very intent on getting him back as these conversations have unfolded over the summer and fall about a prisoner exchange. Most American officials were also asked about that other American who remains in Russia. I'm talking about former Marine Paul Whelan. Over the weekend, John Kirby, a spokesperson for the National Security Council, said that, quote, they hold Whelan differently because they accuse him of espionage charges. We have a better sense of context here, where the Russians' expectations are, and we're just going to keep working on it. Yeah, Jill, the uh, U.S. government negotiator who flew home with Griner actually also spoke with Whelan on Friday. Uh, and when he was asked about that conversation, he says that he told Paul, you have the commitment of this president. The president is very focused. The secretary of state is focused. I'm focused. We're going to bring you back home. And uh, the negotiator was actually a former army uh, veteran and said, I reminded him, Paul, when you were in the Marines and I was in the army, they always reminded you, keep the faith. And I said, keep the faith. We're coming to get you. Incidentally, one other thing here, there's so many moving parts on this, uh, Jill. Paul Whelan's brother, 
was on Fox News over the weekend, and he added that the Whelans and all Americans should be happy that Griner has been freed. This has been a hot debate like among some folks, particularly those who are critical of Joe Biden, as well as people in the veteran community being like, well, why is this Marine left behind? Well, Whelan's brother says, you know, based on what they've been informed by the White House, they're happy for Griner. All Americans should be happy. And then he went after Donald Trump. So Donald Trump uh, over the weekend, put out on his Truth Social social media platform that the deal is stupid, unpatriotic, and called out the fact that Whelan wasn't freed. This is now the brother of Paul Whelan, David, on Fox News. He said the following, I think what President Biden did was to take care of an American who was in peril and bring home the American that he could bring home. So it's disappointing that a former president would have that sort of perspective in regards to Trump. He then went on, my brother pleaded from his prison for President Trump to tweet about him during President Trump's term in office, and Trump did not. And now to talk about Paul at all, it's really offensive. Keep in mind here that Whelan was convicted and put in prison in 2018. So what he's saying is Trump had a couple of years here. We didn't hear from Trump on this. And now Trump is attacking Biden. You know, basically, where have you been? And interesting that he said it on Cavuto's show. Right, right. Taking on, on Fox News where there have been a number of people very critical of Biden and this deal. So it is very interesting as you dig in here uh, to see kind of where the lines are being drawn. Ultimately, again, as we said on Friday, an American has been freed. It appears, you know, especially this negotiators telling Paul Whelan, we will get you home. It's just the Russians are playing hardball on him. Now to the latest on an oil spill in the central United States from the Keystone Pipeline that could soon be impacting gas prices at the pump. Kuzmosh, why should we have any good news, right? I mean, just <laughs> as gas prices are finally at the pre-Ukraine war levels and, right. and like not going to make you puke when you see your bill. Here we go. Okay. The company that runs that pipeline, Canada TC Energy, said it still doesn't even know what caused the Keystone oil pipeline leak in Kansas last week. Um, they also wouldn't give a timeline as to when the pipeline will resume operation. So TC shut down the pipeline after more than 14,000 barrels of crude oil spilled into a creek in Kansas Wednesday. And that makes it one of the largest U.S. crude spills in nearly a decade and the largest ever from that pipeline. The Keystone Line transports more than 600,000 barrels a day. It is a critical artery shipping heavy Canadian crude from Alberta to refiners in the Midwest and the Gulf Coast. Keystone shutdown will hamper deliveries of Canadian crude both to the U.S. storage hub in Oklahoma and to the Gulf, where it is processed by refiners or exported. So energy analysts are now expecting it could have an impact on gas prices at some point, depending on how long it goes. So Mosh, for anyone who's listening to this podcast thinking, okay, Keystone Pipeline, I know that name. It was that really big sticking point between Republicans and Democrats. So what is the deal? What's what is going on with it right now? So let's distinguish it. So the Keystone Pipeline has been operational for more than a decade. Uh, it runs, as you said, from Canada down through the Midwest. It has an extension that takes it a little bit into the Great Lake area and then takes you eventually down to Port Arthur uh, near Houston. That's the Keystone Pipeline. The debate over the last 10 years was the Keystone XL line. So this would have been an extra line from Canada, an extension line, basically a second line into the U.S., from Canada. There were actually huge concerns environmentally that adding another line could lead to more spills like this uh, and that it would have negligible impact on gas prices here uh, and how much oil that eventually comes in. So that Keystone XL line was eventually killed in the last 18 months as uh, Biden basically said it's not going to happen. 
but Keystone Pipeline, the main one, not XL, has been operational. Uh, and the issue we're facing here is that this pipeline spill has taken place in a creek that runs through rural pasture land in Washington County, Kansas. It's about 150 miles northwest of Kansas City. And what's interesting as people dig in here is it has raised questions for the federal government on the permit, the TC Energy, that's the company that controls it, the, the permit that they currently have, because they currently have a permit that allows it to run pressure inside the system that exceeds the typical maximum permitted level. So they're running the pipeline faster than they should have been. And they've had a permit for this for now. So Congress is going to take this up. Historically speaking, there have been 22 spillage events over the last decade. About 12,000 barrels leaked over those 22 events. You mentioned there's already 14,000 barrels uh, that have leaked from this particular um, event. So again, this is the biggest in history, all of the previous ones combined. As far as the cleanup effort, uh, officials there say it could take months, but it could also take years. Reminder, this is really heavy oil sands crude. This is a very, uh, really thick type of crew that's going to take a while for them to clean up. The EPA says that the company has now built a dam across the creek about four miles downstream from the pipeline to prevent the oil from moving into larger waterways. Let's keep our fingers crossed that that'll work. And then as far as gas prices are concerned, it really will depend on how long the pipeline stays shut down. The big concern right now is it's been a few days. They still don't know what caused the leak. And so until they know what caused the leak, they're not going to turn the pipeline back on. Moj, based on absolutely no knowledge of pipelines, <laughs> I'm surprised. It does seem like they should have figured out by now <laughs> what is going on, like how, what caused it now. We, we should reach out to TC Energy and find out. I mean, I mean actually, my the Instagram following of Mo News, I'm sure there's uh, energy experts who could be like, I'm an oil pipeline uh, specialist inspector, and I can tell you like what takes place there. But this is always the big concern with overland pipelines you know, we've we've heard of uh, spills in the ocean, in you know the Gulf of Mexico, in various places. The Exxon Valdez one, the famous one, that was always the concern about running pipelines over some of the area that it runs through in the Midwest is huge farmland territory, right? So that was one of the issues that was certainly brought up over the course of the past ten years as they were debating the XL having that extra line run through uh, Montana, Wyoming, and then connect back to the Midwest. Well, speaking of of just the debate and also the Mo News community, before we started this podcast, we were chatting quickly, and you mentioned that both sides of the debate, Republicans and Democrats, are kind of piping in, saying, "See, you yeah. know, we were right." Can you just? I, I think it's fascinating. If you wouldn't well, mind talking, well, about it was it. interesting. I was just like, you know, I, I try to no, not go too deep into the comments on posts sometimes, but sometimes I just. I'm curious as to where people are landing on things. So you have a bunch of um, people on the left and environmentalists who are like, see, this is why we didn't build the XL pipeline because of spills like this uh, that could cause major damage and other issues. And then you had folks on the right who are like, no, if we had the XL pipeline, there'd be another way into the US right now. And then the left says, well, it'd be another opportunity for more leaks to happen. And then the right says, well, again, like we, you know, need another, we, we need to figure out how to increase capacity as much as humanly possible to keep prices low. So um, I think no matter, the lesson here is no matter what news event happens, whether it's the Griner thing, whether it's the oil spill, uh, the, the two sides will, you know, figure out a way that it reinforces their argument, right? All right, Jill, we have a lot more news to get to, but I want to get to our sponsors this week. Let's begin with Bull and Branch, the bedding and sheet brand. They are extending a special deal going into Christmas for Mo News listeners. If this all sounds familiar, you may have seen Moshe's Instagram ad. He and Alex in bright royal blue t-shirts in bed. And if you were wondering, what are they doing? <laughs> 
this is it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jill. Clearly, clearly the ad had an impact on you. It and, did. I was mindlessly scrolling. And, and then I noticed you and Alex in bed in these blue t-shirts. And I'm like, what is, what are they up to? We're hawking sheets. <laughs> we're hawking sheets, Jill. So uh, what's, what's incredible here is Bowling Branch took notice of a conversation that we had on the Instagram thread uh, last month. Uh, and is offering a special deal to everyone who is listening to this podcast. It includes 20% off plus free shipping. As Jill just mentioned, my wife and I got a new set of sheets, uh, duvet covers, uh, pillow covers, etc. And what's incredible about the Bowling Branch sheets is they get softer after every wash. And so if you're looking for a gift right now for yourself or a loved one this holiday season, a reminder, we spend about a third of our lives in bed, so sheets are a big deal. And so as you do your holiday shopping, this is the opportunity to give a better night's sleep to yourself or your loved ones. Uh, best of all, Bowling Branch is giving everyone a 30-night worry-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all orders. And uh, you can get their signature sheets right now in a beautiful holiday gift box. So this is the deal. For a limited time, get 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use the promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code MONEWS to give the gift of a better night's sleep to your friends and family. And there is another great deal, Jill, that I want to tell Mo News listeners about as we head into the holiday season. It is actually a partner uh, that I use literally every day, Athletic Greens. Their AG1 all-in-one vitamin is a must as we head into and try to get through cold and flu season. I've been using the Athletic Greens AG1 powder for a couple months now. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning, and that's it. The experience is simple, affordable, and I'm feeling an extra boost of energy every day. Athletic Greens was actually created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. It was actually costing about 100 bucks a day. So as they say, necessity is the mother of invention. And the AG1 powder contains 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals and pre and probiotics to support your gut health. And here is the best news. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs. You can visit athleticgreens.com backslash monews take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, athleticgreens.com backslash monews for this special deal to really start to take ownership of your health. Okay, time now for the speed read from the BBC. NASA's Orion capsule makes safe return to Earth. The NASA Orion capsule splashed down in the Pacific Ocean after a fiery re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere Sunday. Its descent was slowed by parachutes as it completed its 26-day mission to orbit the moon. Artemis 1 was designed to test the Orion capsule to ensure that it can safely carry humans and the huge space launch system rocket that carries it into orbit. Because this was just a test, there were no people aboard this time, but that's going to change for the next flight. NASA is planning ever more complex missions with Orion, and those will likely start in late 2024 and include either in 2025 or 2026, an attempt to put humans back on the lunar surface. Yeah, Jill, it was uh, pretty cool to watch. Uh, it was sort of a throwback to the Apollo days, the uh, capsule landing in the ocean with parachute, if you remember those pictures. And incidentally, Sunday, yesterday, marked the 50th anniversary to the day, December 11th, 1972, when NASA made its last moon landing with Apollo 17. 
So this time in Orion, they had a set of mannequins equipped with sensors to gather data about radiation exposure, other conditions of deep space travel, essentially making sure Orion is good for humans. The big test on Sunday that looks like NASA passed was Orion traveled at 25,000 miles per hour, 32 times the speed of sound back to Earth. Uh, it was exposed to heat at 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit as it re-entered the atmosphere. So that was the big concern. Um, and they're going to be testing the mannequins to make sure, like, you know, can humans handle it? Did the capsule effectively protect those mannequins? I don't want to poo-poo this because it is really cool, but I, maybe it's just me, but I'm having a hard time getting super excited about this because we've been to the moon. I mean, like, as right. you said, it was we've done this, you know, 50 years ago, actually, more than that. It's it's less about, you know, the NASA response to that, Jill, is it's less about going back to the moon uh, and more about what going back to the moon lets us do next. We've discovered in those 50 years that there is ice on the moon, on the south pole of the moon. So if we can uh, send humans back uh, to the moon, and it looks like it'll be in the next couple of years, we can discover whether we can keep sustainably people on the moon for years. What going to the moon also gives us the opportunity to do is then go to Mars. It basically is a jumping off point to get to Mars. And that's what the NASA folks will tell you. Also, incidentally, uh, Artemis 2 will be launching four astronauts around the moon, Artemis 3. So the third mission of this, uh, again, in the next few years, will carry the first woman and first person of color to land on the lunar surface. So they're really talking about establishing a lunar base camp. Uh, and then being able to check out the moon as maybe it'll be good for mining. What other scientific discoveries can we make? Uh, and again, it'll allow us to then go to Mars in the next decade and continue our exploration of space, Jill. All right, I'll stop talking, Moshe. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean, I will say, and I mean this like with all due respect for myself, but... You told me. I mean, I, I actually I probably should have done a little more research on that story before I just said, "Eh, who cares?" Well, but but I no, you. I think you bring up a you bring up a good point, and I think there's probably a failure at times from uh, government officials and folks at NASA to explain, you know, why they're doing stuff. And the the big headline we're going back to the moon is like, well, why? Uh, but this is your regular reminder that you'll hear from me as a space nerd of the amount of technologies that have been developed and perfected in space surgically, medically, uh, cool inventions, et cetera, because of that zero gravity environment. Given that you are a space nerd, and ironically, even though I just kind of poo-pooed that, I, I am as well. Did you watch For All Mankind on Apple? I'm not completely caught up, but I've watched several seasons of it, yes. I love it. And I think that in, it's it's for anyone who hasn't see, seen it, it's sort of this revisionist history where Russia actually beat the U.S. to land on the moon, and it totally changes the course of our space program and, and history in general. Anyway, I highly recommend it if anybody's interested in space. And by the way, it's based on some of NASA's original plans, which, by the way, have been updated for this mission. But it will give you a clue as to what NASA's hoping to do on the moon this go around. Switching gears, Politico writing about the escalating battle on the Arizona border. Workers have steadily erected hundreds of double-stacked shipping containers topped by razor wire along Arizona's remote eastern boundary with Mexico. It is a bold show of border enforcement by the Republican governor, Doug Ducey, even as he prepares to leave office in the coming weeks. Federal agencies have told Arizona the construction on U.S. land, which started over the summer, is unlawful and ordered it to halt. Ducey responded on October 21st by suing federal officials over their objections, sending that dispute to court. 
Arizona's move comes amid a record flow of migrants arriving at the border. U.S. border officials have stopped migrants 2.38 million times in the fiscal year that ended September 30th. That's up 37% from the year before. The annual total surpassed 2 million for the first time in August and is more than twice the highest level during Trump's presidency in 2019. Environmental groups say the containers could imperil natural water systems and also endanger species. Yeah, Jill, uh, so Ducey is uh, headed out of office very soon, but he's continuing to build this even as that legal dispute happens. And so the effort began late summer in Yuma. This is out in western Arizona. It's a very popular crossing point uh, where scores of asylum seekers arrive daily, often find ways to circumvent new barriers. And these containers there attempt to fill areas that were left open when Trump's 450-mile border wall was built. So the wall still had some holes in it and continues to have holes in it. Uh, The latest construction site is in the San Rafael Valley. And that's not actually, according to experts, typically used by migrants and was not even contemplated in Trump's wall construction plant. But Ducey is putting uh, containers there as well. Uh, All combined, uh, it looks like it's costing more than $100 million between the two areas. Uh, There are complaints by the local uh, Native American tribes that the state did not seek permission to build in its nearby reservation. You obviously have the environmental concerns about uh, wildlife getting blocked, uh, water issues, water flow issues, flooding issues. Uh, And critics are saying that despite this new container wall, there are still open spaces of several hundred yard gaps, given the way the terrain is built, that allow people to get through. But it appears to be kind of that latest effort. You know, we've been talking about the governors from Texas, uh, Florida, sending asylum seekers on planes up north. In this case, you have Arizona taking their uh, issue into their own hands with this container wall. Okay, now on to a tragic story out of the World Cup from News Nation. Grant Wall, an American journalist who helped grow the popularity of soccer in the U.S. and who reported on some of the biggest stories in the sport, died on Saturday while covering a World Cup match between Argentina and the Netherlands. He was 49 years old. Wall fell back in his seat in a section of the stadium reserved for journalists during extra time of the game, and reporters adjacent to him called for assistance. Witnesses who were near Wall when he collapsed say that they were shocked that no defibrillator was nearby, especially at a billion-dollar stadium. He was taken to a hospital, and he was pronounced dead. Wall's death happened so suddenly, and while CBS News reports that he suffered a heart attack, his death remains a mystery. Wall had said he'd been dealing with bronchitis in the days leading up to his death. He also spent his time in Qatar reporting on the host government's handling of human rights, criticizing their treatment of migrant workers. A day before his passing, Wall wrote on Substack, They just don't care. Qatari World Cup organizers don't even hide their apathy over migrant worker deaths, including the most recent one. Yeah, Jill, this has led to some theories, some conspiracy theories. There's no evidence for it yet, you know, of potential foul play here. People suspecting, including Wall's brother, uh, that the Qataris may have had something to do with his death in terms of a purposeful thing. So uh, Grant's brother, Eric, who's gay, suggested that Grant was killed uh, in a video on Instagram for uh, wearing a uh, LGBTQ rights T-shirt back at a game in November. At the time, Wall uh, was detained by Qatari security uh, for wearing that rainbow-themed T-shirt, was uh, forced to change his clothing. And so this is the theory coming from his brother. Has not been supported by anyone else, including uh, Wall's uh, widow, his wife, 
On the health front, though, uh, was going back through his blogs, Jill, and he did mention in his blog post just last Monday, a week ago, uh, that he was having some health issues. This is what Grant wrote in his December 5th post, quote, my body finally broke down on me. Three weeks of little sleep, high stress, and lots of work can do that to you. What had been a cold over the last 10 days turned into something more severe on the night of the U.S.-Netherlands game. I could feel my upper chest take on a new level of pressure and discomfort. I didn't have COVID. I test regularly for that here. But I went into this medical clinic at the main media center today, and they said I probably have bronchitis. They gave me a course of antibiotics and some heavy-duty cough syrup. I'm already feeling a bit better just a few hours later, but still, no bueno. Jill, I'll add this. Wall wrote for years for Sports Illustrated. Uh, He was also often on CBS during my time working there. A true pleasure to work with. Uh, A number of uh, my former colleagues was were remembering uh, the times he had the they had the opportunity to work with Grant. He was a major voice, as you mentioned, in uh, the soccer world and trying to increase interest for soccer here in the U.S. He also did bring a critical eye, and again, this takes us back to the theories, the foul play theories. He was very critical of FIFA, which runs world soccer. He incidentally he incidentally attempted to run for FIFA president in 2011, promising more transparency, reaching out to a bunch of countries. So he was a very, he was very active uh, and had a very prominent voice in the world of soccer. You know, his brother, Eric, who you'd mentioned, his video that he had posted it was heartbreaking. It, you know, yeah. it felt like he felt this sense of guilt or something over the death. Um, and it's just, I, I don't know, you just have got to feel for this family. Absolutely. And, and you know, I will stay on top of the story as they try to figure out, you know, uh, the cause of death here for an otherwise uh, healthy 49-year-old. Staying with the World Cup, we just want to get a status update of where things stand right now with the tournament. Only four teams remain as the World Cup heads into the semifinal round Tuesday and Wednesday. After a weekend of action, Croatia, Argentina, France, and Morocco are still left standing. On Tuesday, Argentina will face the Croatians, the runner-up at the last World Cup, for a chance to make the final this time around. On Wednesday, France, the defending world champs, will face Morocco, the only African team to ever reach the final four. The winner of each semifinal this week will then face off in the World Cup final on Sunday. Mosh, I know who you're going to be rooting for. Jill, you're cordially invited 2 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday to watch the Moroccans take on the French. Um, For those who don't know, my father's family is from Morocco. He was born and raised there. So it's been a lot of fun to watch them, uh, specifically uh, beat Spain and Portugal, uh, their neighbors, the French. You know, there's a lot of uh, geopolitics involved here. Uh, But the Moroccans came into this tournament ranked 22nd in the world. They've been the real underdogs. They've only given up one goal in the tournament. And honestly, Jill, just for the sake of, you know, keep it interesting, 2018's final was France and Croatia. They're both in semifinals this round. Uh, so, you know, let's let's not have a repeat of 2018. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be fun to see if the Moroccans can make it to the final here uh, after really exceeding expectations so far. I'm sure that a lot of people, even without a connection like you do to, to the country, are pulling for them because everyone loves the underdog, right? And And can we talk about the food? Like, let's just root for the food, though. It's, <laughs> it, it is a battle of two great cuisines, the French cuisine and the Moroccan cuisine. But uh, again, we'll be serving some mint tea and some couscous here on Wednesday afternoon. Mosh, I will let you know if I can make it to Brooklyn. I, I watch your Instagram stories and, and even more so Alex's stories, like my mouth watering sometimes with with some of the food posts. So I will definitely try to make it. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll try not to disappoint, and hopefully the Moroccan team won't disappoint on Friday. But honestly, on Wednesday, I mean. But uh, hopefully they'll make it this round. And I, I had fun over the weekend. A, a buddy of mine from college, uh, Camille Bazbaz, whose family's also from Morocco, we got to watch it together. So that was a, that was a fun experience. Okay, our next speed read is from Variety Magazine. Taylor Swift will be making her feature directorial debut with Searchlight Pictures. The singer, songwriter, and director has written an original script, which will be produced by the Oscar-winning studio behind Nomadland and The Shape of Water. Other key details like the plot and casting are all being kept under wraps until a later date. Searchlight presidents David Greenbaum and Matthew Greenfield put out a statement saying, quote, Taylor is a a once-in-a-generation artist and storyteller. It is a genuine joy and privilege to collaborate with her as she embarks on this exciting and new creative journey. Swift recently became the only solo artist ever to be honored with two Best Direction Awards at the MTV VMAs for her work on All Too Well, the short film, and The Man. So Jill, she's going from music videos here to feature films. And as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, she's halfway to the EGOT, which is Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. She has an Emmy. She obviously has many Grammys. So she just needs an Oscar and a Tony to complete that. So I am awaiting details on what this script is that she wrote. By the way, pretty prolific of Taylor to be like writing albums and then like writing a uh, like a full on original script of a film. No, she is a workhorse. She pumps out albums. I mean, I think she put out two or three during the pandemic. Right. And she's uh, rewriting all of her Taylor's version, right? She's going through all her albums and and like putting new tweaks on stuff. So she was interviewed in September at the Toronto International Film Festival and was asked about this, uh, about directing the music videos at the time. And she said, quote, it wasn't like I woke up one day and I was like, you know what I want to do, direct. I've been on the set of 60 plus music videos and I've learned a lot from that process. Incidentally, the Oscar winning director Guillermo del Toro recently praised Taylor for her directing abilities at a benefit on Thursday. He revealed that they had met up to discuss uh, directing. He had lent her a few books uh, and he said the following about her. She's a very accomplished director. She's incredibly articulate and deep about what she's trying to do and what she will do. I have the greatest admiration for her. So a uh, high compliment from del Toro. Look, if anybody saw my Spotify wrapped, they know that I am clearly a fan of Taylor Swift to probably an embarrassing level. At least I really do just like her music. Um, but, you know, as expected, the people who love her are, are loving this. And there's a lot of haters out there. And by the way, like some of these artists just turn out to be good in multiple fields, Jill. Uh, I was recently uh, seeing Ben Affleck at the Deal Book Conference, and he was talking about his new production company and creating a new economic model for producing films in Hollywood. So, you know, you might know one of these people as a singer or as an actor, but some of them actually have uh, pretty good business mindsets uh, and are really, you know, uh, talented in, in more than one way. I mean, Bradley Cooper, uh, who knew he could sing? Uh, you know, we saw him on A Star is Born. So I, I agree with you. All right, Jill, before we go, we have our On This Day for December 12th. Uh, Two uh, things that struck me on this day 22 years ago. On this day in the year 2000, the U.S. Supreme Court effectively awarded the presidency to George W. Bush, ruling uh, that a fair recount of the ballots in Florida could not be performed by the deadline and George W. Bush would be our president. I'm having flashbacks most to hanging chads. Oh, my God. That was... You you thought you thought that was the craziest election you might see, and then and then 2016 and 2020 happened. So that's uh, your political history on this day uh, from the world of music. 35 years ago today, December 12th, 1987, Faith George Michael hit number one on the Billboard charts. Cause you gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. 
baby. All right, that is all right. I, I, well, I'm like making myself <laughs> uncomfortable with how much bad singing I'm doing on this podcast. Jill, we did make a promise on Friday that there'd be less singing on the podcast, so I'm going to have to really focus our on this days on non musical history. <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> it is my fault. I've Stop brought it upon picking us. songs. Exactly. I br- brought it, but by the way, quite a hit. Great hit, George Michael, peak George Michael, Faith. (laughs) I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast and starting another week with us. Uh, We hope uh, to be able to take you through the end of the year here. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast and whatever app you're listening to us on. It helps us continue to grow the show, as do the reviews. Please review us in the App Store. Uh, Every review matters and helps us continue to uh, keep the momentum going and move up the charts and beyond the podcast. If you don't already, please follow me over on Instagram for 24-7 coverage over on the Mo News Instagram account at M-O-S-H-E-H. All right. Bye, everybody. Later.